Good evening and thanks for tuning in. Tonight we'll be discussing 16-year-old satanic triple murderer Sean Sellers. Sean Sellers was born May 18, 1964 in Corcoran, California. His life growing up. This is going to be paraphrasing according to Sean Sellers. Mom had me at 16, and when she was 21, I was 5. I don't remember much before 5, but at 5 she left me with her father, my grandpa, and his wife Geneva, grandma to me. She met Lee, dad to me, and she was gone. I only saw her when she managed to make it in every few weeks, and every time she and dad left, I smiled, waved goodbye, and went to the bathroom, closed the door, and cried every time, and I never once let anyone see me do it. It's awful for anyone to feel abandoned, but especially a child by his parents. It seems like a lot of bad things happened in Sean's early years. In school, I was Sean Sellers, but my grandparents were named Blackwell and my mom and dad were named Belafado. I didn't know what a divorce was or why I had a different name. All I knew is that in that little bitty town, I was the only kid whose name was not the same as his parents. I was different, and in grade school, no child wants to be different. Christina Steinworth has a master's degree in family therapy in California and describes some adverse effects of constantly moving during childhood, including loss of friends, trusted teachers, and school in general, loss of routines, which is an important part of childhood, disruption of a developmental stage where children learn to trust others. It causes issues of insecurity in relationships, self-esteem, trust, and self-worth issues, and separation anxiety. In sharing this information with us, Sean is trying to manipulate us from the start, possibly. He's fishing for sympathy by playing to the public sense of what a child's life should look like. It's also an opportunity to meet new people and have exciting adventures. It's not ideal to move once a year, but to blame this as a cause for the horrors to come is a big stretch. But in my opinion, Sean is a master manipulator. At age eight, mom and dad moved me to Los Angeles to live with them. The school I went to in LA was as big as the town I lived in with papa and grandma. I hated it. Kids speaking Spanish, us living in Dad's Aunt Terry's apartment complex where no kids were allowed. I had to be quiet all the time. I was always being yelled at for either being too noisy or for fear I was about to break something. At school, I was bullied by boys two feet taller than me in groups. That was my encounter with gangs. A white boy from a tiny town in Oklahoma amongst Latinos in Los Angeles. I'd never been afraid of going to school before. 
That's a terrible experience, and there weren't any anti-bullying campaigns like there are today. A lot of kids are bullied every day, and they don't turn out to be killers, however. Victims of bullies often turn into bullies themselves. It's hard to trust Sean on how intense the bullying was because we know he's a manipulator. StopBullying.gov says some effects of bullying are depression and anxiety, health complaints, and decreased academic achievement, including bullying other people. Then one day at the apartment complex, some older relative molested me. He got me to give him oral sex. I never told anybody that either. I thought I'd get in trouble, and I was ashamed. Shame is a common feeling after being sexually assaulted, and kids often feel like they did something to bring it on themselves. We have to pick and choose what to believe because these will all factor into Sean's future crimes. But again, we will see him use excuse after excuse to mold his sad story into a reason for his reprehensible actions. We didn't stay there long, and I went back to Oklahoma to Papa and Grandma. But there was a lot of anger in me over all of that. Over the next few years, Mom and Dad kept picking me up and moving me here and there. We never lived in one house for more than a few months or in one town for more than a year, so I had several different schools and never made any lasting friendships. That built up a lot of resentment. Sean seems very self-aware when describing his childhood, but conveniently struggles to maintain this in his near future. Then there were things like Mom's temper. She always spanked me with a belt, but she also just hit me, slapped me in the face, mashed my mouth, a flat palm straight-on blow to the lips that mashed my lips into my teeth. She did that when I got, quote, mouthy, and it made my lips swell. It always shut me up, though. She hit me in the head with wooden mixing spoons, butcher knife handles, hairbrushes, whatever she had in her hand. Usually it was because I said something wrong or if she was cutting my hair and I was fidgeting, smack. I never knew what would get me smacked, so I learned to be very careful around mom. I walked on eggshells and avoided her when I could. I tried to live in my room as much as possible. I hated her as much as I loved her. Again, he says he never told anybody about any of these things that may or may not have happened. Is he setting mom up to blame her for his actions? My life stunk. I was angry with my parents. I continually thought about suicide. I just wanted out. I sat there wishing I had either the guts to blow my brains out or for a way to find a new world and leave everything behind. Childwelfare.gov describes some effects of child abuse as future violence, which we'll see, victimizing others, which we'll see, risky behavior in STDs, depression, anxiety, suicide, and substance abuse. These are the crimes Sean's been charged and convicted of. A statement of facts. The record reveals that on September 8, 1985, a clerk at a convenience store in Oklahoma City was found shot to death. At trial, the state presented that 16-year-old Sellers and his then-best friend Richard Howard killed Robert Bauer, a convenience store clerk in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. 
Sellers later admitted on his website that he killed Bauer because the man had refused to sell him beers and because he wanted to see, quote, what it felt like. He surprised the Circle K convenience store clerk while he drank coffee. He shot at him and missed. In his confusion, the man tried to run by Sellers, who then pursued the man across the store and shot him again, killing him. Sellers said the wall behind where he murdered Robert Bauer was covered in blood. Sellers had taken the life of an innocent man because he wanted to see what it felt like. Then, six months goes by, a cooling off period. March 5, 1986, the bodies of Sellers' mother and stepfather were found shot to death in their bed. Howard testified that Sellers came to his house early that morning and confessed the murders to him. Howard claimed that he suggested to Sellers that they hide the murder weapon, a 44 caliber revolver owned by Sellers' stepfather, in Howard's house. Police investigation showed that the gun described by Howard was in fact used to fire the fatal shots. Finally, Howard testified that he devised a plan whereby he and Sellers would return to Sellers' house, quote, find the bodies, and then call the police. Sellers snuck into his mother and stepfather's bedroom while they were sleeping. I had my father's 44 revolver, and I raised the gun up and I pointed it at my father's head, and I squeezed the trigger, and then I immediately raised it to where my mother's head was and squeezed the trigger again and her head raised up, and I fired a second one into the He was in just his underwear to avoid blood spatter on his clothing. He then went to take a shower. He said he came back later and saw the giant hole in his mother's head oozing blood, and he felt like a giant weight had been lifted off of his shoulders. By his own admission, Sellers said, I began to giggle as hysterically as I could. Richard Howard was initially charged with first-degree murder as well, but the state elected to give him a five-year suspended sentence for his complicity in the murders in exchange for his testimony. The Case for Satan Sellers says that because of martial arts, he started to follow Zen Buddhism and karma, which is what he said opened the doors for Satanism. He went on to say that the sex, drugs, and rock and roll all went together and kids were turned on to Satanism because of the rebellious nature of the music. He said the psychos like Freddy Krueger and Jason Voorhees are the heroes of the slasher flicks kids are into. He said that in role-playing games, the characters have no values, and that is part of the fantasy and attraction to kids. At his trial, Sellers claimed he was a practicing Satanist at the time of the murders and that demonic possession by the demon Ezerot caused him to murder his victims. In later documents, he claimed to have read the Satanic Bible by Anton LaVey literally hundreds of times. In a confession letter written from prison, he reflected on this period of his life. 
The more he got involved in the occult, the more his thoughts became twisted. He said, I finally got to the point where I didn't think it was wrong to kill somebody. His attorneys also argued Sellers was addicted to the game Dungeons and Dragons, although Sellers would later write that the game had no part in his crimes. Dungeons and Dragons is a role-playing fantasy game blamed for a lot of illicit behavior and associated with Satanism during the Satanic Panic. Sean claims that a babysitter introduced him to the occult at the age of 10. At 15, he claims to have met a witch. Sellers said during one of the witch's rituals, he felt many small cold hands touching him all over and a voice saying, I love you, and said the experience was sensual and erotic. In an interview, he claims that he began to, quote, see demons as my friends. He invited demon possession and says he often successfully let demons enter his body. He began using speed to stay awake and often went without sleep for days at a time. He says he smoked pot with his friends during lunch break and started drinking alcohol regularly. In the same interview, Sellers says, I liked people to be afraid of me for good reason, because I was dangerous. He says in Satanism, there comes a point where you have to give Satan everything. He says that in the Satanic Bible that he read, it says, quote, you have to break all of the commandments, including thou shalt not kill. Sellers called his group Elimination, and its goal was to eliminate Christianity. All this would play into the hands of the media in the Satanic Panic. The Satanic Panic is a moral panic about alleged widespread Satanic ritual abuse which originated in the 1980s in the United States. It peaked in the early 90s, and the theory was abandoned eventually as a result of skepticism of academics and law enforcement agencies, and they ultimately debunked the claims. It was based on children being fed lines about things they said they were seeing, including child sexual and physical abuse, up to and including human sacrifice. The phenomenon spread from the United States to other countries. American talk shows ate it up because it was grandiose, polarizing, and made great headlines. Shows like Geraldo fed into the delusions of Sean Sellers, but were they delusions or a brilliant strategy by his defense attorneys? We see that Sellers is a master at framing himself at having no responsibility for his actions. He blames outside things and separates himself from the actions as well. It's like he's saying, somebody who is a Satanist, an evil person, did all of those bad things, but it's not me. Now look at me. I'm a clean-cut, soft-spoken, God-fearing, upright, moral individual, and I'm trying to spread the word of the Lord. Conveniently. Sellers has said he never let anyone see him cry when his mom and dad left, but we have to take him at his word. He never told anyone he was abused by his parents, so we have to take him at his word. He never reported any sexual abuse, so we have to take him at his word. 
His martial arts led him to following Zen Buddhism, which he says opened the door to Satanism, which makes absolutely no sense. Heavy metal music inspired him, which is a possibility. Music can be influential on teens. The murderers were the heroes of the slasher flicks, which is irrelevant one way or the other. The Catholic and Baptist church flat out denied him any help, which I'm going to call BS on. A witch took him under her wing and taught him black magic, so we are supposed to blame her instead. And demons entered his body on several occasions and made him do it, but all joking aside, he never asked for an exorcism. Wouldn't that be needed for him to reform his ways and become Christian, or did the demons just let him go free? Sellers once called Trinity Broadcasting to ask for help and said the lady on the phone prayed with him for 30 minutes, but his mom said not to share family problems and keep it in the family. Sean said that if she wouldn't have said this, she would still be alive today. He was found guilty and sentenced to death by lethal injection. But Sellers had found Christianity so he could be forgiven. He then campaigned for his clemency based on his religious conversion, age, and his satanic religion, which he blames for his predicament. Let's talk about lack of responsibility. Sellers went so far as to blame his mother, saying that she said to keep problems in the family, and he said if she had not said this, she would still be alive today. So he's blaming his mother for telling him to not seek out help, and that's what caused him to eventually kill her. So let's give Sean Sellers the sociopath test as given at HealthyPlace.com. Unofficially, of course. Is he superficially charming? Yes. Soft-spoken and well-spoken, so he comes off as peaceful. Does he have delusions? Yes. He is either delusional that demons are in him or delusional that people will believe his conversion to Christianity is real. Maybe both. Does he regularly tell lies? I believe he does. Does he show remorse or shame? Not at all. Poor judgment? Yes. Egocentric and incapable of love? Sure seems so. Does he experience emotions? Not really. Does he lack insight? Absolutely, because he either believes he's possessed or thinks people will believe he's possessed. He also fails to see that showing remorse or guilt will win him points with the public. Does he fake actions or responses? Well, it seems like all of his answers are planned out. He has failed the test and is being unprofessionally diagnosed as a sociopath. So why does he refuse to apologize? According to Dr. Guy Winch, people refuse to apologize for multiple reasons. It's threatening to the offender because they can't separate themselves from the actions if they apologize. If their act is evil, they are evil. Apology opens up the way to guilt. Apology may open the floodgates to criticism. And apologies make the offender assume responsibility. And the offender may be trying to manage their emotions. The Media Circus 
While on death row, Sellers made numerous appearances in the mass media, appearing on The Oprah Winfrey Show and a notorious segment of Geraldo about Satanism. Geraldo was an exploitative journalist who sensationalized everything he possibly could. The journalist in Natural Born Killers is based on Geraldo. Sellers appeared in documentaries about Satanism and serial killers for 48 Hours, MSNBC, WNS News, and the A&E Network. Sellers became a sensation in the media and turned out to be a celebrity cause with famous people going to bat for him, but only because of his age. Among those seeking clemency for Sellers was South African Archbishop Desmond Tutu. In a letter to Governor Frank Keating, Tutu wrote, that the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child provides that, quote, neither capital punishment nor life imprisonment without the possibility of release shall be imposed for crimes committed by persons below 18 years of age. In a written response Tuesday, Keating said he couldn't commute a death sentence without the recommendation from the Oklahoma Pardon and Parole Board. The board denied clemency last week. Myself and the majority of Oklahoma citizens support the death penalty as it is applied in Oklahoma courts, Keating wrote. The law is applied fairly and equally in all cases. Seller's step-siblings doubted that his conversion to Christianity was a sincere one. Of his many surviving family members, only his step-grandfather believed his conversion to have been genuine. However, the prison chaplain believed he had truly converted. Sellers was 16 at the time of his crimes. His execution marks the first time in 40 years that the United States has executed someone for crimes under the age of 18. The United States has executed a total of 13 juvenile offenders since the reinstatement of capital punishment in 1976, and 10 of those executions have occurred during the 1990s. Only four other countries are known to have executed juvenile offenders during this decade. They are Iran, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, and Yemen. The U.S. has executed more juvenile offenders than the rest of the world combined. The last inmate executed for a murder committed at age 16 was Leonard Shockley, who died in Maryland on April 10, 1959. Attorney General Edmondson was asked whether Seller's death would spark more debate on how young is too young for a murderer to be sentenced to death. Edmondson said he hopes the debate on capital punishment never ends because it is such a serious matter. However, that is not our role here tonight. Our role here tonight is to see that the laws of Oklahoma are carried out, he said. During the appeals process in 1999, Sellers was diagnosed with multiple personality disorder. Multiple personality disorder, which is now called dissociative identity disorder, is a disorder characterized by the presence of two or more distinct personality traits and is usually a reaction to trauma as a way to help avoid bad memories. Amnesia must occur. The person must have trouble functioning in major life areas. The effects cannot be due to the physiological effects of a substance. But according to the National Alliance of Mental Illness, up to 2% of the population suffer from the condition and the symptoms include significant memory loss, out-of-body experiences, depression, anxiety, and thoughts of suicide, emotional detachment, and a lack of self-identity. 
Effects of dissociative identity disorder may include cultural phenomenon, like demon possession. Treatments include medication, behavioral therapies, EMDR, some other mental illnesses that could be mistaken as dissociative identity disorder include PTSD, borderline personality disorder, substance abuse, depression, and anxiety. Psychiatric experts scoffed at Sellers' claim, arguing that any true mental illness would have been diagnosed soon after Sellers' arrest and not seven years later. Prison officials also cast doubt on Sellers' mental illness by saying that they saw Sellers rehearsing the evidence of mental illness and receiving coaching from his attorneys. Sellers made the same insanity claim to his clemency board, but the board refused to consider the issue. The board appeared to have been swayed by prison officials' statement, the lengthy time delay in diagnosing the illness, and statements by Sellers' accomplice that he had seen no evidence of multiple personality. The only thing that worried him was getting caught, Richard Howard wrote. The state of Oklahoma has a legal procedure that calls for post-trial consideration of newly discovered evidence under certain standards. According to Sellers' attorney, Steve Presson, Sellers' case overwhelmingly met those standards. The Oklahoma Court of Criminal Appeals refused to consider the evidence. The Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals was shocked at OCCA's refusal and wrote that the OCCA made several errors in Sellers' case. The Tenth Circuit Court would not intervene. The Tenth Circuit Court did issue what amounted to an invitation for executive clemency and for the state courts to reconsider Sellers' case in light of the multiple personality disorder and the mistakes the courts made. Clemency was denied on January 27th. Diana Cron, one of the jurors who sentenced Sellers to death, spoke on his behalf at the clemency hearing. She said that the jury was given two choices of sentencing, a life sentence with the possibility of parole or the death penalty. Oklahoma now has a third alternative, life without parole. Cron and the other jurors thought that a life sentence would mean that Sean would serve 7 to 15 years in prison and that this sentence was too lenient for the murders. She stated that since Oklahoma had not executed anyone for 20 years at the time of the trial, the jurors did not honestly expect that Sean would ever be executed. They thought the only way to ensure a long prison sentence for him was to choose the death penalty. If clemency had been granted, Seller's sentence would have been converted to life without the possibility of parole. Cron also stated that if the jury had been aware of Sean's mental illness, it would have changed the sentence he was given. It is very obvious that he's found God, and God has changed his life, she told the parole board. I was touched, and I truly don't want him executed. As soon as the testimony in the clemency hearing was over and Sellers was taken from the chapel, all five board members voted to deny clemency. The Aftermath ProDeathPenalty.com put out the statement, On September 8, 1985, Sean Richard Sellers was 16 when he shot and killed Robert Bauer, a store clerk at a convenience store in Oklahoma City. On March 5, 1986, Sellers shot and killed his mother, Vonda Belafato, and stepfather, Lee Belafato, while they slept in their Oklahoma City home. They were killed six months after Mr. Sellers shot and killed a convenience store clerk, just to see what it feels like to kill someone. Mr. Sellers now contends he is the victim of multiple personality disorder. Amnesty International responded with this statement. 
In McAllister, former Satan worshiper Sean Sellers was executed, becoming the first U.S. murderer put to death in 40 years for crimes committed at the age of 16. Sellers, 29, was pronounced dead at 12.17 a.m. after being injected in both arms with poisons designed to put him to sleep, stop his breathing, then stop his heart. Some 100 death penalty opponents held lit candles and read scriptures. Some came for the first time, impressed that Sellers had preached Christianity from prison, or upset that a murderer so young should die. The state of Oklahoma killed Sean Sellers for crimes committed when he was a 16-year-old boy. His execution brings the number of child offenders put to death in the USA since 1990 to 10, more than the rest of the world combined. Here is an excerpt Sellers wrote from Death Row to his friend Rick, which we presume is Richard Harris, about life on Death Row. Dear Rick, it's about 8.45 and I've been up since 7. I'm drinking some mocha coffee and hot chocolate. People always told me when I grew up I would like coffee and the news, but I still don't like them. I don't like watching reality TV, but I still like Spider-Man, X-Men, and X-Files. Here in a little bit, I'm going to get up and go work on a painting I'm making for my cellmate's parents as a Christmas present. That doesn't sound like hard time to me. Whether or not you believe in the death penalty, 16 is pretty young to be sentenced to death, but killing three innocent people for no reason is a pretty serious offense. Thanks for listening to Exploring Evil, and if you like the show, please leave a five-star review and be sure to subscribe. I hope you like the show and we've got more cases coming up about lesser-known serial killers and the havoc they wreak. Every episode will try to get to the bottom of what makes them tick. I'm gonna go get